about that video we just saw. All God's people singing glory, glory, hallelujah, amen. A little teaching moment here. Um, you know, see, most people would say yes to that. Oh, it's so good for all different tribes, all different tongues, all different nations to come together and worship God in the beauty of diversity. And it is true that there is an intrinsic value to that. Uh, God, the, the diversity, the beauty of a united diversity glorifies God in a way that a homogenous crowd doesn't. Now, I'm not poo-hooing a homogenous crowd, but there's a value in diversity. It reflects the glory of God in different ways. Most people are for that, but here's the getting off point. To get there, that means that you, we have to bend, we have to be flexible, uh, we have to embrace the diversity of cultures and diversity of styles. Um, it is just so American to say this, I get my worship the way I want. Um, and I'll go to the church that plays the kind of music that I like, that I'm comfortable with, that, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy, and, and that's how I like it. But see, you'll never, ever get to that beauty unless you're willing to sacrifice that. Unless you make a decision that there's something more important than my personal preferences. You'll never get to the greater good of the diversity of the body of Christ. To get there, we have to be willing to try to enter into styles of music maybe we would never listen to. Maybe even trying to appreciate uh, styles that may be initially great on you. I understand that. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't rub you right. But see, for the greater good, for the beauty of, of this vision of the kingdom, you, you, you put your preferences aside. And there'll be sometimes when the whole service is just how you like it. Why can't we always have it that way? Well, it's because on that service, it was grading on somebody else, but now this next service, they were doing it the way they like it. And we're not doing that to be politically correct or whatever. We're doing it because of the vision of the kingdom. Amen? And to incorporate all the tribes, all the tongues, and all the nations, and all the styles, and the beauty. We lose a tremendous amount of people who just get frustrated saying, I don't know why we have to always play this loud music or this kind of music, whatever. Uh, well, why can't we always just do it that way? But see, if it, you'll be locked into just, you'll find a homogenous crowd that, that prefers what you prefer. Bless you on that, bless you, but you're going to miss the greater beauty, which is this diversity. Amen. That's why on any given Sunday, you have no idea what to expect. Sometimes we're country western. Sometimes we're really mellow. Sometimes we're really rowdy. Sometimes it's black gospel. Sometimes it's Latino. Sometimes it's, it's more Euro, European kind of worship music. Uh, the diversity is good, and, and that's the way that we do it, and that builds the beauty of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Okay, as if this service wasn't already different enough, it's going to get differenter. Um, I'm not, now brace yourself, I'm not going to preach out of the book of Luke. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I, I know. I, I, uh, talking with my executive team, Janice and Paul, they really thought it'd be wise if I um, uh, say a little word about kind of uh, bringing together some of this crossing the sword, myth of a Christian nation thing that's been going on the last three weeks. Um, I will promise you that we're never going to become a one-string fiddle church where we have one sermon to preach and that's all we ever talk about. That will never happen and that's why we preach through the whole Bible. But for right here and right now, to bring us together on the same page, to lay out this vision, they thought it would be good to do that. And I also want to use it as an opportunity to just to share kind of uh, my heart 
especially some things that have occurred the last couple weeks. For those of you who don't know, several weeks ago, uh, the New York Times, on the front page of their paper, did a story on the book, Myth of a Christian Nation, and the sermon series, Crossing the Sword, and a big thing on Woodland Hills Church, and kind of an article on what's going on in evangelical circles. Uh, we were immediately... I, I, this has never happened to me before. It's, it's, we're, we're just in a time of weirdness here. But, I mean, deluged, deluged with emails, 99% of them being in, incredibly positive. Uh, people saying, you know, that this vision of a kingdom that transcends national divides and political divides, and there's something beautiful about that. And I would say 25% of the emails that I've gotten, and so far as they've been able to work through them, uh, are people saying something like this. Uh, you know, I, I gave up on Christianity, and I've given up on, on uh, religion and on Jesus because of all the ugliness and the politicking and, and getting behind wars and things of that sort. And, and now, because of just getting this idea of a kingdom that's, that's totally different, that's not of this world, like Jesus says in John 18, uh, they're looking at it and reconsidering it, or at least thanking me for, for putting it out there. It's been a beautiful time. It's been a crazy time. And then three days after the, the New York Times article came out, Trinity Broadcasting Network, some of you watch that station, uh, it's supposed to be the most watched Christian station on, on the planet. It reaches, uh, at any given show, up to 25, 30 million people. They aired a program that I'd done months earlier, and, and they decided that would be a good time to air that program. So that brought in another deluge of emails. And the day after that, I had to leave and go to Europe. My poor wife, pray for my wife. I left her with this mess, complete mess. Uh, thank God for small groups because they've been helping out and trying to answer some of these emails and scheduling requests and things of that sort. Uh, it's been a wild and crazy and wonderful couple of weeks. I went to, uh, uh, overseas to Ireland first and then to London. And folks, we have got people over there that are just so, uh, they're just part of our tribe. Uh, they have the same vision of the kingdom we have. Uh, my good friend Fergus Ryan has a multi-congregational church in Ireland, Dublin. And um, uh, I'm not going to insult them this time like I did last year by trying to imitate that accent, which I love so much. Our, uh, but uh, isn't Dublin, Ireland? Um, but it was God moved in a beautiful way, and then went to London and ministered with Roger Forster. If you've been here for very long, you've heard me talk about him. He's one of the people I respect most on this planet. One of my heroes in the faith. And uh, he has a house church movement that he's been building for 30 years over there. And once a year they come together and have a big revival. And I was able to go and speak at that. And it was just so, such a blessing and an honor to, to be part of that. And I want to just tell you this. I would say every day I had at least a dozen people would come up and say something like this. I want you to know that, that uh, one of our lifelines is Woodland Hills Church. And we download all the sermons and we get the study guides and we stay up with you guys. And we feel like we're part of Woodland Hills Church. I mean, all over the place. It is such an honor to be blessing these people around the globe. We know of several hundred people in groups that are doing this, but there's, there's a ton of other people who just haven't told us that that's what's going on. I had a guy, this beautiful man, uh, come down from Norway to meet me in, in, uh, in London and uh, just to tell me that um, uh, this is his lifeline. He's a math professor at a university in Norway, and he just wanted to thank me and thank the church for, for, for really, he said, giving him permission to believe. And, and it's just a, a lifeline, and he and his wife and some friends kind of have a group, and I just praise God, and, and praise God for the internet. I mean, this is, God, God using the internet. It's just... And a lot of doors have opened up. Oh, by the way, I, some of you may have seen this. I was on the Charlie Rose show this last week on Wednesday night. 
uh, with Rick Warren, and that was a, a trip. Um, I, I'd never watched the Charlie Rose show before, but uh, it, it's really informative. I've been watching it ever since. And um, uh, several people have asked me, you know, where can they get that? And so we, we put a, a link on our website. If you want to watch that interview with Charlie Rose, um, then uh, just go to the website and, and follow the instructions. But there's been a lot of doors that have opened up. I mean, really big doors that are, that are just incredible. And I see every one of these as simply being, it's kind of like a person just giving me a megaphone and just say, talk to us about the kingdom. Talk to us about Jesus. I, I just love it. I just love it. I, National Public Radio, the guy asked me a question. Well, no, for the unbelievers that are listening here, do you have anything you'd like to say to them? <laughs> Maybe a thing or two. I, you know. And... God gave me this word. Uh, actually, I was in Ireland when I did this national public radio uh, hour-long uh, review, and um, I was praying with Fergus Ryan, uh, and, and uh, a word came to me, and this is what I want to talk about, share my heart on this. And the word was simply this. It just so sharpened my focus. Just show them my beauty. Just show them my beauty. Uh, and now that's my bullseye in every, every opportunity I have to speak, whether it's in this pulpit or the pulpit of the airwaves. I'm looking for opportunities to, make, to show forth the beauty of Jesus Christ. I, I got, a verse was given to me, and, and uh, uh, it really kind of fine-tunes this. It comes out of the Gospel of John. That's one of the Gospels uh, in, in the New Testament that we haven't preached on for a while. Uh, it's, it's one of the non-Luke Gospels. Uh, it's John chapter 12, and for those of you who are visiting, we, we just preached through the Bible, and we're in the book of Luke, and after eight months, we're up to chapter 3. Um, but John chapter 12, and Jesus says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And most scholars agree that what Jesus is referring to there is, first of all, the cross, when I'm lifted up on the cross, but also his ascension, when I'm lifted up in the air but also the proclamation of the church. When we lift Jesus Christ up, he draws all people unto himself. And like the center of, uh, like, like the, the, the axis of, of a wheel, as it were, uh, uh, the, the center where a thousand strings meet, when you lift up the center, it draws all the edges of the strings together. So also when we lift up Jesus Christ, it brings people together around the cross, creating the beautiful vision of the kingdom that we just witnessed today and witnessed on this video. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. It's the beauty of the cross that draws people. The omnipotent God could work in a coercive fashion if he chose. He could work with his uh, cosmic bicep and, and, and just, you know, uh, control people to come unto him. But he chooses through the beauty of the cross to draw, to woo people unto himself. And so I've seen it as my job, and it is our kingdom job, to show people the beauty of Jesus Christ. The main thing we're up against is all that's not beautiful. The main thing we're up against, the main challenge I've come to see is, 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 is all the ugliness that religion has managed to wrap Jesus in. So our main job is to strip away all the ugliness so that Jesus may shine in all of his radiant beauty. What we're up against is centuries of ugly religion. We've got to strip it away. 
Where we're up against is centuries of ugly judgmentalism, we've got to strip it away. Where we're up against is centuries of ugly self-righteousness, we've got to strip it away. Where we're up against is centuries of ugly politicization of the gospel, even violent wars in Jesus' name. All that ugliness we must strip away, and even yet today... There's so much that is ugly in religion and in wrapping up the kingdom with nationalistic and political agendas. And our job is, we can't make Jesus more beautiful than he is, but we can strip away, we must strip away all that is ugly so that the beauty of Jesus can shine. The main job is to help people uh, realize that uh, what they think they know about Jesus isn't accurate. To deconstruct what people think they already know about Jesus or what they already know about the kingdom or what they already know about the church or what they think they already know about evangelicals or whatever and to strip that away so that the beauty of the true Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can begin to shine. Because the truth, the truth is this. Jesus Christ, the true Jesus Christ, not the Jesus of religion, not the Jesus of nationalism, but the true Jesus of the gospel is drop-dead gorgeous. He's radiant. His splendor goes beyond words. He's, he's, if you understand who he is, you can't help but be overwhelmed by the beauty of it. And even if you don't believe it, you can't help but wish it was true if you see the beauty. Jesus is the centerpiece of the story of God becoming a human being and dying a hellish, God-forsaken death. He sets aside all of his divine prerogatives and leaves the bliss of his, his eternal being in heaven to become a human being and die a hellish, God-forsaken death for a group of rebels who could deserve it less. And then he says he considers it joy. Because he wants to live eternally with us. It is the greatest, most beautiful love story ever told. Jesus Christ is beautiful. Jesus Christ is radiant. Our job is just to let that love and purity shine. He really is that beautiful. And see, as we gaze on that beauty, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, as we gaze on that beauty, Paul says, we're transformed into that beauty. As we, at the center of the kingdom is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby we continually are transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we gaze on the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, his radiant beauty, we take on that beauty and we lift Jesus Christ up by displaying that beauty, that Christ-likeness, that dimension of unconditional love in all of our life. I got another passage at one point when I was in England they asked me to speak to a group of people right on the spot. They do this a lot. Just, you know, you really got to be instant in season and out of season. So I said, Greg, would you come and share the word with us? And the Lord gave me this verse. I want to share it with you. Isaiah 50, 52, where he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, proclaiming peace, bringing good tidings, proclaiming salvation. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Part of what the author is getting at here is this. Uh, feet was always kind of a, a, a symbol of what's dirty and smelly in the ancient world. Uh, you know, they're always walking around these dirty, unpaved roads, and dirt feet are always dirty. That's why washing feet, like Jesus did to his disciples, is one of the most humble things you can do. What the author is saying is that even the dirty, smelly feet of these people becomes beautiful because they bring good tidings. It's good. Good news. It's good. Proclaiming peace. Proclaiming salvation, which means wholeness. Our God reigns. And so kingdom people, 
We are to be a, a people who continually look at Jesus in order to look like Jesus. To shine in our life and with our attitudes and with our thoughts and with our words and with our deeds. To shine like Jesus shines. To put on display the beauty of the creator-redeemer God. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 5. After telling us to strip away everything that's ugly in chapter 4, strip away all malice, all violence, all unforgiveness, all, all slander, all gossip, strip it away. And then he says this. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. The word there is mimetai, which means mimic. Mimic God. Do exactly what you see him doing, nothing more, nothing less. And then he says, here's what it looks like. Live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. As beautiful as Jesus was towards you, just be that to everybody else. When you were an enemy of God, you were lost, you had no, no claim to make on your own, yet Jesus Christ ascribed unsurpassable worth to you by dying for you on Calvary. Now go, go thou and do likewise. Be beautiful as Christ is beautiful. If I was going to title this message, I'd entitle it, Be Beautiful. When we lift Jesus up as we live in love, as Christ loved us and gave his life for us, our call is to be beautiful. Not right on every point, not, not superior wisdom, not all the people with the know-how, not with the practical skills. Our first and most fundamental call is simply to be beautiful, reflecting the radiant beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, the enemy has done a pretty good job, or I should say we, the church throughout history, have done a pretty good job of letting the enemy make the gospel and make the church and make the kingdom rather ugly. And he tempts us, he seduces us, holds the church captive in ugliness in the name of goodness. It wouldn't be a temptation unless he lured us with goodness. I want us to see this. In a, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, when we ever, if ever, we get to chapter 4 of the book of Luke, we'll read this passage, where the devil tempts Jesus. And he, and he says this, Jesus, I uh, own all the kingdoms of the world. I have all the authority of the kingdoms of the world, and I give this authority to whoever I want. Which, incidentally, we should note this, Jesus doesn't dispute the truthfulness of that claim. In fact, the rest of the New Testament confirms it by saying that this is the God, Satan is the God of this age, the principality and power of the air, and the one who controls the entire world, 1 John 5.19. And nowhere is there any exception to this made. Nowhere is that teaching ever revoked. Which, by the way, should make kingdom people very hesitant to ever equate the kingdom of God with any government, with any nation, with any program, with any party, because at the very least you know that it's polluted with demonic stuff, even at its best. Uh, Satan owns and operates the kingdoms of this world, and there should be a prophetic distance there. Our kingdom is not to be equated with any of those kingdoms. And we need to be especially vigilant with regard to our own government, because we, like most people, are most inclined to be blind with regard to our own government and think that we're the one exception throughout history. But Jesus tells us here, this passage tells us here, and the rest of the New Testament tells us here, that there's a diabolical influence there. But the devil tempts Jesus and basically says this, I'll give you all the authority of all these kingdoms. I'll be the CEO, so you kind of have to do it my way, which is a power over controlling way. But look, you, you can be the operating officer. Think of all the good you can do, Jesus. Right now, you could immediately fix the world. You could rid the world of evildoers. You could have all the best laws, all the best programs, all the best policies, all the right people in all the right positions. Think of all the suffering you could alleviate. You can have it right now. Just, you got to do it my way. 
But as you all know, Jesus refuses to do that. He came for all the kingdoms of the world and all the people of all the kingdoms of the world. But he's going to do it his way, not the devil's way. He's going to do it by, with power under, not power over. He's going to do it by drawing people unto himself, wooing people. He's going to do it through beauty, not force. The beauty of Calvary-like self-sacrificial love. And so he says, no, I'm going to get the kingdoms, but I'm going to do it the slow and very apparently impractical but beautiful way of self-sacrificial love by dying for my enemies on the cross. We need to see that throughout Jesus' ministry, he was tempted with this. People were expecting a militant political Messiah, and they were constantly trying to draw Jesus in on their various political debates. It was a political hot bedtime back then, and, and they were trying to get Jesus to weigh in. Tell us God's opinion on, on this issue. Tell us God's opinion on that issue. Where do you stand vis-a-vis inheritance laws? Where do you stand with regard to taxation? And Jesus consistently, without exception, and we're supposed to imitate him, he consistently, without exception, refused to use his kingdom authority to endorse any of that. Rather, what he did is basically say, look, I didn't come here to answer your questions and to solve your kingdom of the world problems. I came here because you're going to answer some of my questions, and I got unique kingdom of God questions. And the kingdom he he came to build, he says in John 18, is a kingdom that's not of this world. He resists at every turn the temptation for power now in order to demonstrate Christ-like, God's self-sacrificial love on Calvary to draw the whole world to himself. The devil comes back several centuries later and tempts the church with that same temptation, but unfortunately not following the precedent of Jesus, not imitating Jesus, the church to a large degree acquiesces. For the first three centuries of the church, the, uh, the church was never perfect, but it was beautiful because it, 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 it testified uh, to the reality of Christ by dying for people and, uh, and, and by serving the world. And then this man named Constantine, who was an emperor, became a professing Christian and he legalized Christianity. And then several decades later, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, And it wasn't very long, in fact, it was about one year before the church began to look ugly. We put our first person to death in Jesus' name the year after we became the official religion. And then comes a history of of ugliness, where in, in the name of the one who told us to bless those who persecute us, Christians become the persecutors. And in the name of the one who taught us to turn the other cheek, we start cutting off people's heads. And uh, we start, we go into war with uh, our tribal God. Now we're naming him Jehovah. And we go against the Muslims and we go against the Jews and we come against the heretics and we burn people at the stake. And there's a history of ugliness that carries on. And the beauty of the radiant Jesus gets lost in the shuffle. And you look anywhere now where Christianity once ruled as the dominant power and you will find a culture that's more resistant to the gospel now than unreached people groups. And the harm that is done for missions is incalculable. We still to this day have trouble bringing the gospel to various groups because of the horrors that were perpetrated in Jesus' name throughout history. Fortunately, praise God, there is a strand throughout church history of people who imitated Jesus and who didn't buy into that. But to a large degree, to a significant degree, the church accepted the temptation, was lured by the temptation that, that, that Jesus resisted. The church became the church militant and triumphant. Christendom. Instead of the kingdom of God, it became the kingdom of Christianity. And they were talking about spiritual warfare when they said church militant and triumphant, and it became ugly. The lesson of history 
If, if we don't get it from the Bible, we ought to at least get it from history. The lesson is this. When you pick up the sword, you put down the cross. But we are called to carry the cross. When, when, when your focus is on fixing the world by controlling it, you can't focus on transforming the world by serving it. The two are utterly incompatible. And this temptation, folks, is still with us to this day. The temptation is this. If you, if I just got power, we could fix the world here and now. If you and I just controlled things, if, if we were the ones who got to uh, decide on all the policies, and if our opinions were the dominant ones, well then, then, then we could fix the world and we could rid the world of evildoers right here and right now. Because after all, we are the people of God and we know what is best and we're the godly ones and we're the wise ones and we know how society should run. So just give us the sword, which is the power to control, and we can fix the world. And it looks so practical. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? Which is why it's such a temptation. But Jesus calls us to imitate him. And Jesus said, though I have legions of angels, I'm not going to call them. I'm rather going to let you crucify me because that's what's going to express the heart of the kingdom, the self-sacrificial love where you'd rather die for your enemies than kill your enemies. And the result of this temptation now and throughout history is that the church, rather than being the beautiful people who proclaim and radiate a beautiful good news, the church becomes profoundly ugly. We have to agree that even at its best, you'd agree with this, wouldn't you? Even at its best, politics is pretty ugly. Even on a good day, it's still pretty ugly. Uh, even, I, even when you're right, demonizing your, your enemies and your opponents is ugly. And even when it seems justified, war is ugly. And, and, and national divides and national conflicts are ugly. And, and judging others is ugly. And the church isn't called to be ugly. The church is called to be beautiful, to be the opposite of that. Killing, killing, killing your enemies is pretty normal. It's par for the course. But to die for your, en- for your enemies, that's beautiful. Uh, praying for your troops is pretty normal. That's what people do, and that's fine, fine. But, but praying for your enemies, like Jesus commanded us, that's beautiful. That's distinctly kingdom. Non-judgmental service to others especially your enemies, is, is beautiful. Sacrificing for others is beautiful. Tearing down racial walls is be- beautiful. Befriending the friendless is beautiful. Sacrificing for people who are, are dying of AIDS is beautiful. Caring about the homeless and the poor, that is beautiful. Giving of your own resources to people who don't have enough resources, that's beautiful. That's Christ-like. That looks like Jesus uh, dying on Calvary, and that's what the church is called to be, and that's all the church is called to be. Be beautiful. Radiate the love and the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you ask us why do we do the 140-some ministries we do, it's because all of them are beautiful. Why do we have support groups for people coming out of uh, sexual addiction? Why do we have support groups for people who are struggling with with chemical addiction? Why do we have support groups for, for people who have gone through divorce? Why do we have all these different support groups? The answer is because it's beautiful. And that's all you need to say. It's a beautiful thing to do. Why do we have people volunteering all over the place in inner city schools and people helping out in homeless shelters and small groups working on Native American reservations and other groups that are helping with inner city youth? Why do we do this stuff? Why, 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 why did we give, you know, we did a fundraiser a couple of years ago, the first million dollars we gave away. Some people thought that was profoundly impractical, and it was. But that's why it was beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about being practical. We're called to be impractical. We're called to be beautiful. All these things, it's an end in and of itself to to say, you know what, we want to help plant this church, the sanctuary. We want to help out this hospital in Cambodia. We want to help out some other churches. You see, we're called to be a beautiful people, and therefore we're called to replicate Calvary. 
If we live in love, like the Bible tells us to, you will see opportunities, big and small, all around you every day throughout the day to be beautiful. Because the world tends to be a rather ugly place. There's opportunities to let Jesus shine, to lift him up. And God uses every one of those opportunities to draw people closer to him. Just, if you're walking with the lens, looking at the world with the lens of Jesus Christ, you'll see opportunities to be beautiful, uh, big and small. Uh, this last week I was in New York, uh, my wife and I and, and Greg and Marcia Erickson, part of our small group, uh, to do this Charlie Rose show. And at one point we were walking down the street, and there's this old guy crossing the street, a street person, uh, with a shopping cart. And one of the wheels, of course, doesn't work, and who knows where he got the shopping cart. And uh, he was collecting things, uh, mainly cans, to trade in to get some money. And it was pretty clear he was inebriated. And he was crossing the street, not in the walkways, but in the middle of this street, because uh, the light was red. And at some point, who knows how it happened, he tipped the thing over and all the cans fell o- all over the place. And then the light turns green, and so these cars want to you know, go, and they can't because this street person is, is clogging up the street. And I don't doubt that there was a lot of judgment going on. You know, it's, it's people like this that are the problems with society. You know, it's, it's, it's people like this. If he wasn't drunk, if he wasn't drinking so much, he wouldn't be on the street, you know. And, and the, we need to clean up the riffraff around here. And maybe some people thought it was a little comical. as this old guy fumbling around trying to get the cans. But Greg and I just, um, just ran over and, um, and just started helping him put cans in the, the, the cart. Small thing. No, it's, it's, it's not... It takes one minute, two minutes out of your life. But, but it's to notice it. And see, to do that, we don't need to even think for a second, why does he drink so much? What got him in this situation? We don't need to have that thought. Um, I don't need to look and, and notice his sin because what I do know is this. Whatever his sin may be, whatever his history may be, he didn't invite us in there, so we don't need to go there. Uh, we, we're called to do what Jesus did, and Jesus just saw a need, and, and he met it, and he never did a background check. You know, you see a need, and you meet it. Just be beautiful. You don't need to morally police anybody. Uh, but, but, but what you know is this. Whatever you see in their life, that's a mere dust particle compared to what is in your life. Jesus taught us to have this mindset, Matthew chapter 7. And so, yeah, this guy obviously struggles with alcohol and who knows what else. But, but you should see, that's a dust particle. You should see the two-by-fours in my life. And so, far from looking down on this guy, I consider it an honor. And Greg uh, Erickson would consider it an honor. And this is the mindset we should have. It's an honor to serve this man who, for whom Jesus died, who was created to reign as a king on this planet. And I don't know how this war is own world got this guy so screwed up but it's an honor just to help him put some cans in the the grocery cart and that's beautiful just be beautiful do what jesus did we don't need to stand on podiums and platforms and (laughs) moralize you don't need to go there It's, it's beauty that draws people there's such an ugly thing the enemy puts in people's minds. But this particular group, that's the problem with society. This particular, that's the problem with society. The kingdom mindset is to say, no, you know what? I'm the problem with society because they got dust particles, but I got two by fours. And when we, when, we, when we are humble and radiate the beauty of Jesus Christ, it draws. Why is it that Jesus drew, was a magnet for the tax collectors and the prostitutes, who just are the, the two most despised people groups in, in the first century, it's because he's beautiful. Everyone is hungry for beauty. We're created for beauty. And it draws people. And we are the body of Christ. 
And I look for the day, and I praise God that it's beginning to happen, when prostitutes and tax collectors start wanting to hang out with us just because, because we treat them nice, and we care about them, and we don't judge them, and we consider it an honor to serve them. In fact, we collapse the whole us-them mindset. We're called to be a beautiful people. Now, now, I want to be very clear on what I'm saying and what I'm not saying because there's a bunch of blogs out there that are getting it wrong. So here's the official thing. I'm not saying at all that you can't vote or shouldn't vote or, or that you shouldn't be in politics however you feel led. I bless you on that. Yes, they, we're in a country where they ask your opinion about here's a, here's a squabble in the polis. That's the Greek word for city-state. Politics is about resolving an issue in the polis. They ask your opinion. Give your opinion. And however you feel led to go, go. That's wonderful. Uh, I, but don't think that, that your unique way, your unique perspective of solving the problems in society is the Christian way. As though anyone who disagreed with you somehow really is not Christian. Don't slap the label Christian on it. I'll grant that you're absolutely right in all of your opinions. Thank God for you. You have the most insight of anyone on the planet. Use it. Wonderful. We're so glad you are here. But see, the kingdom doesn't call you to be right. It calls you to be beautiful. And in giving, giving your vote, that, that's normal, but that's not beautiful. When you start bleeding for the people, when you start serving them, that's beauty. And that alone warrants the label kingdom of God. That alone warrants the label Christian. Our, 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 our call as a body is to lift Jesus up and to look like Jesus. And see, here's the thing. You, I'm sure, think you're totally right on all of your views, and I am perfectly sure that I'm right on all my views, and that person over there is, thinks they're right on all their views, and we all disagree. And that would be a real problem if you're slapping Christian on yours, and I'm slapping Christian on mine, and they're slapping Christian on their, their views. But it's no problem whatsoever if we understand that the kingdom is about Calvary and bleeding for people, not about how you think the, the culture should be fixed. Jesus could call a conservative Matthew and a liberal Simon as far apart as any two political positions could be, and he calls them both to follow him. And never once do we read one comment about which view Jesus thought was, was the better one because what he's saying there with this silence, it's screaming with the silence, is that when you have Jesus in common, it's utterly, 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 utterly insignificant how you think the government should operate, what laws you think should or should not be passed. The kingdom is not of this world. It's altogether different. Which is why I really don't care. People think this is some kind of rhetoric, but it's, it's absolutely true. If you want to bleed for people in Jesus' name, and I want to bleed for people in Jesus' name, we together can build that unique, beautiful kingdom of God. And I don't care if you're a Rush Limbaugh devotee or a Paul Wellstone devotee. I don't care if you're Democratic or, or, or Republican or Socialist. or a, I got a few letters from people at, at our church who are libertarian. God bless them. It doesn't matter absolutely irrelevant because that's not what unites us together here it's the vision of that beautiful diverse calvary looking jesus looking kingdom that we're called to build amen uh, i, I want to say one more word and and then and then we're going to close here but but here's the word something that's happened in the last three weeks has been so encouraging to me um, I, two years ago when I really felt led to preach this Cross and the Sword series, which wasn't a new philosophy, by the way. We'd been always having this view. We just got real clear about it. Um, but honestly, I felt pretty alone. Um, not in our church, but in, in, in relationship to Christianity at large. Kind of the oddball out. 
which I'm kind of used to, so it wasn't like catastrophic for me, but, but, but it, felt, it, felt, it felt weird. But I'm going to tell you, in the last few weeks, I don't feel alone at all anymore. There is, there is, a lot of people are saying this, and not primarily Christians, though a lot of Christians, I've gotten so many letters from pastors who are, they're capturing a vision for the kingdom, and there's something new going on. A new day is dawning. This vision for this, for this kingdom is, is, is becoming clear in the minds of a lot of people. Um, I, you know, I was I, at this Charlie Rose show. I uh, was able to uh, meet Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, been the bestseller in all of history. And uh, uh, he and I are pretty different theologically. But man, when it comes to our vision for the kingdom, we are just on, on, on board. Uh, when I was doing my interview, uh, he was out in the waiting room with my wife and, and, and uh, two people from my small group, and, and he was just saying, I said that very same thing two nights ago on CNN, and, and really, you know, agreeing with this. And see, what God has given him is this incredible platform uh, because of the success of this book to make some changes. And he's using this to uh, have what he's calling a purpose-driven church. A church that, that rallies not around all agreement on all politics and, and beliefs, but rather we agree on a purpose, and the purpose is to look like, like Jesus Christ. He said this, that, uh, uh, and I just love this guy's heart. He said, you know what, we're called to be the body of Christ, but for most of our history we have to confess that we've been pretty much just a mouth. <laughs> but uh, we're realizing that we've got hands and we've got feet and we've got legs and God calls us to use those hands and to use those feet. These are the hands of Jesus Christ and the feet of Jesus Christ. And it's time for the church to get a vision of this unique and holy kingdom. We don't have to fight with each other over the crumbs that fall from the government's table. Nor do we have to see ourselves as sort of the designated grunt high priests who are supposed to christen whatever opinions they, they, they give us. The church stands alone and the main job of the church is to be the church, the body of Christ who radiates and reflects the beauty of Jesus Christ. To be Christ's hands and to be Christ's feet. It is our job, no one else's. This has got to be our mindset. Our job to care about the poor. Our job to care about the lost. Our job to care about the hungry. Our job to care about people who are suffering with AIDS. It's our job to end racism. It's our job to end tribalism. It's our job to end strife. And we do it in Jesus' name, lifting up the, the beauty of Jesus Christ and all that we do. For too long, we've thought it was the government's job or someone else's job, but this is the job of the body of Christ. And thank God when government happens to get it right. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But see, we can't. One of the reasons why the church is growing four times faster in third world countries than it is in, in, West, in, the, in the West is because they don't have governments that, that, that they think are going to take over the job of the church. The church stands alone. And so what Rick Warren is doing is building a network of, of churches, and I'm talking with him about what role we might play, but a network of churches that will work together to be a, this, global, this global body of Christ. Right now he's raising up forces and money to, to empower the church in South Africa to fight AIDS and to empower the church in Rwanda to tear down the walls of racism and tribalism that have so plagued that country between the Tutsis and the Hutu. And, and for the church to do that, and then Jesus Christ gets the glory. Be beautiful. Be the beautiful people of God who walk in love as Christ loved you. Just at all times and all places, do to others what Jesus has already done for you. Shine, Jesus, shine. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. That's the vision. Amen.